Hey, Gen. Hey, what up, man? Hey, uh, let's go rob Bella Thorne. Oh. <laughs> um, well, that's a lot of money, so maybe we should. You want to know why we should go rob Bella Thorne? Why? Because she just scammed a bunch of people on OnlyFans. And has subsequently caused a ripple effect that is making things worse for people who are doing sex work on OnlyFans. To preface this, hmm. I'm, full, I'm in full support of a sex work. Sex work is real work. And everybody should support it. If not, you're, you're an idiot. Just flat out, I don't know what else to tell you. People do what they want to make the money that they want. Yeah, sure. But, and people consume what they want to consume, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Disney actress, ex-Disney actress, I guess, Bella Thorne, uh, decided to start an OnlyFans. But not to actually, like, do any real sex work or anything, just as an experiment, as she's claimed. As an experiment for an upcoming movie she's doing. I'm guessing it's about sex work or something. But in one day, she made a million dollars. In the first 24 hours it was open, okay? Jesus. That's wild, right? Mm-hmm. Then... On her second day, I had to look up a little bit to figure out exactly how this works. But she sent out to her subscribers what's called a $200 pay-per-view. Which is like, I guess on OnlyFans you can send like a message to people. And you have to pay to view. Yeah. Who are subscribed um, to you. See, a tip. Well, you know, hey, fuck it. I'll be embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> you get DMs from the people you follow occasionally. And, uh, you know, because some people have, like, a free OnlyFans. You can, like, just get pictures and stuff. But occasionally they'll have stuff that's like, you can see this if you pay $14 to unlock it or something like that. Oh, okay, okay. So I'm sure it's it's part of that stuff. That stuff, like, it's sent to, like, your DMs, if you will. Okay. She said one that was $200 out. It'd be $200 to unlock it. She claimed it was a fully nude photo set of herself. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. So a bunch of a bunch of people, yeah. Yeah. So a shit ton of people paid for it. it made her another million fucking dollars, and it wasn't a nude set. Not only did she scam mm. people, right? Right away, right, right away. That's a scam, right? I mean, it's false advertising at the very least, yeah. Right. This whole thing is like basically clearly a scam. there's a reason why people are spending two hundred dollars here. Right. And so now that happens, right? And then a bunch of people start requesting refunds for this $200 pay-per-view. Bunch of people. Hmm. So OnlyFans freaks the fuck out. And now they've changed their rules around a little bit. Which is something that is only going to make live, the lives of uh, people who are trying to do legitimate sex work uh, harder. I'm, uh, yeah, I just looked this up. It's a $50 cap on pay-per-view messages. Yes. And a hundred dollar cap on tips. Um, I don't know. I think that's kind of silly, and, and it sounds like they just dropped it on people without any notification or yeah. warning. Yep. Um, which doesn't surprise me. I mean, you hear about stuff like this all the time as companies get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, YouTube always has policy changes that they don't really tell anybody about. And uh, just, you gotta find out creators. by your video getting demonetized out of nowhere and stuff like that. Real fun. 
Yeah. So here we are with this. So in, in the and, last change they made, they made one more change. Uh, okay. Normally, you can get a payout from OnlyFans every seven days if you're a worker. Um, okay. now, you, now you only get paid out once a month. Oh, I'm I see. I'm guessing that's set up to allow people to get refunds. Yeah. Because of this, like, absolute clavicate of refunds that came through on Bellathorn's bullshit. Yeah, I mean... So that alone... This was, an, this was inevitable in many ways, I feel. Yeah, like a celebrity was going to come in and fuck it up for everybody. I'm not surprised, really. It's just stupid. <laughs> yeah. But just people that try to do, like, fucking... All these rich people try to, like, invade into the spaces that, like, poor people are using to make some fucking money and just ruin it for everybody. Yeah. A lot of stuff happened on Patreon because of shit like that. Yeah. And YouTube, I just mentioned. Yeah, you know, YouTube. hey, YouTube loves the celebrities that use YouTube. Yeah. Their videos don't get delisted or demonetized, you know. God forbid you demonetized a Jimmy Kimmel video. Can't do that. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, um, that doesn't surprise me, unfortunately. This was probably going to happen no matter what. Um, it sucks. I fucking but hate this shit. It was going to happen. Like, fucking... Certainly celebrities were going to use this at some point. It's right. The name is too big now. And that's how everything goes. Yep, that's always always how it goes. These people come in to make these platforms toxic as fuck. I hate I hate yeah. them for it. I hate Bella Thorne for this. She hurt other people's livelihoods and made a crisp two mil out of it. What a fucking piece of shit. I, I hope somebody robs her in a video game. In a video game. I hope somebody robs her in a video game. <laughs> yeah, I mean I wouldn't go as far as to say I, I hate her because it's not like she knew that OnlyFans was going to change all of their policies because of her. But I, I will say that lying to people is not cool and tricking people out of $200 is not cool. She never and also, went onto this platform. do you need an OnlyFans miss? My, my problem is she never <laughs> went onto the platform explicitly trying to actually operate on the platform. She wasn't doing yeah. she wasn't actually doing any kind of work on the platform. She was using it as a quote unquote experiment. Yeah, uh -huh. you're just coming in and blowing up everything just because. Like that's kind of stupid. Thanks right. a lot. What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Hmm. It's fucking stupid. Anyway, yeah, somebody go robber in a video game. Alright. Also shout outs to um my bank for uh I'll tell this story in a podcast. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, re I recently had uh, a bit of my identity stolen. Okay. So I was kind of paranoid when a similar like situation happened. Okay. Cause like I had like uh, people trying to buy fucking hair dryers to ship to Florida for $70 from eBay for, with my card. They had all my information and shit. And I was like, Oh, yikes. So I got all that settled to my bank and I got refunded. Everything's cool. But then out of nowhere, you know, I'm driving around being Genhart, trying to buy some Taco Bell or something. And uh, my card declines. And I'm like, what? I have like undisclosed amount of money that is embarrassingly low. Uh, so <laughs> I uh, 
you know, I go home, I call my bank and I'm like, you know, it says my balance is the amount that I thought I had. And it's not like my card is, you know, uh, declining because I don't have money. So what's the dealio? I call up the customer service and they're like, oh, yeah, we froze your account because we detected some fraudulent activity. And I'm like, oh, no, here we go. It's happened again. And I say, what was the fraudulent transaction? And they said it was this uh, one cent from OnlyFans. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to tell the person on the phone, no, that was. That was me, chief. And (laughs) because they charge you uh, activating a new credit card, they charge you one penny to use that card. Fucking incredible. So. Thanks for outing me to the public bank. I blame the bank specifically for this story. I am choosing to tell people on my podcast right now. (laughs) It was still worth it. I'd do it again. Fuck it. to the Get Hand Job Show. Let's get... Hey, what up, man? I'm Job! That's him. Fuck show today! Bunch of shit to talk about. We got... Clint... Clint Eastman do shoot man movie. <laughs> Clint Eastman's shoot man movie. Yes. Yes. The first of, of many. Oh, yes. uh, uh Fist... A uh, fist... Uh, what's the name of this movie? Oh, um... Uh, a, a fuckload of, of a fuckload of cash. Yeah, uh, five hundred ninety-nine oh, sh- U.S. dollars. <laughs> a shitload of money. <laughs> a fistful of five hundred ninety-nine. <laughs> Clint Eastwood heading to the local GameStop to purchase a PlayStation Triple. Let's go. Nah, um, Fistful of Dollars is fucking great, dude. Yeah. Um, I love that movie. Sorry if you hear my dog in the background. She's making dog noises. Um, <laughs> I have a pug. She is very cute, but very noisy. Noisy dog. Hell yeah. <laughs> my dog's asleep right now. Mine is about to be asleep, but it'll still be a noisy dog when it's asleep. Right. Which is hilarious. Okay. Well, anyway, Fistful of Dollars is great. We'll talk about that later. I'm very happy we're watching the the Man with No Name trilogy. It's a good batch of movies. Some of the best ever made, to be honest. Up there. But uh, we could uh, we could talk about a lot of other stupid shit if you want. I don't think we've necessarily played much new or no. watched much new. I, I have not. I am once again. I am still in the process of moving. So all of my days are like spent between like getting shit ready and packing it, and I just have not been able to play much video games in general. Hmm. Well, we could talk about um two recent big old streamy man events that uh some some things announced during them were cool, some were disappointing, and some were strange. Uh. I'd like to start with DC Fandom. This happened, like, basically before our last episode even came out. 
So a lot of this is old news, but I'd like to talk about it anyway. I believe our last episode, we opened the episode talking about the Flash news. Yes. And then there was a lot more news later, like the next day. And then our episode didn't go up to like Monday or some shit. So, oh, well, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, shit happens. Did you watch any of DC Fandom? I watched a bit. I watched uh, what I could. Mostly the the game stuff. And mm-hmm. a little bit of and the, the, the stuff later on about the Batman. Uh, not too much outside of that. I saw some trailers. I saw the Snyder Cut trailer. Oh my good god lord. I will say Holy one thing. Fuck. Um, uh-huh. The DC Fandom was incredibly... like The production value was kind of poor, right? It wasn't just me. I think in they hyped it up so much that it's it's hard to like you know it, I mean, it, it looked kind of like shit. Yeah, it looked like shit. Like that, that's all I'm trying to say. And we're gonna make a reference to the, the event after that. But uh, uh the, the Gamescom opening night thing, uh, yeah, was had much much better production value. It More did, but I think oddly well, enough, DC Fandom had better announcements. Uh, but um. All that to say, like, it's just it's just kind of embarrassing when, like, you're pretending so hard that this is a virtual comic con. You're trying so hard and it 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 doesn't look like anything. There's this big, giant imaginary dome that you got people with a green screen standing in front of and all these super noteworthy celebrities and directors and stuff talking about shit and all these like super well-known people and like it's just like I, this this could have looked better this could have looked not as shitty with just like you know will forte standing in the middle of nowhere just in an empty space <laughs> like it's it's super weird right oh yeah it's anyway funny. let me go down the list of things that are worth talking about from this event. Um, I watched all of the, the film stuff. Uh, let's talk about the film stuff and then we'll talk about the video games. Cause I think we'll have more to say on yeah. that, to be honest, but uh, wonder woman 84, which was supposed to already be out, uh, <laughs> got a new trailer and um, like, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking that movie's going to be shit. I can't really tell, and I don't want it to be shit, because I think DC can't use another shit movie. But I I don't have a good feeling about that one. I think it's going to be trying to do a little too much. And it's going to run into that problem that a lot of comic book sequels have, where they try to have multiple villains. And just a lot of shit going on. Like they try to pack a lot of shit into it and it's just going to be like maybe a little distractingly, um, just like not balanced. Well, it it looks like it's, it looks like it's just going to be bloated. Yeah. Um, and I got to admit, I'm not a fan of cheetah as a villain. And they kind of finally, they finally revealed in this new trailer that, uh, Kristen wig as cheetah will make the full transformation into a, uh, furry yeah (laughs) i just look man i don't know comic books are fun and there's lots of crazy stupid characters you know i like batman a lot there's villains called the penguin and like the kg beast in that you know i'm no i'm no uh 
I, I love weird, obscure, uh, weirdo villains, but I don't know. I don't vibe with Cheetah because I think it comes off differently in 2020 when, uh, you know. This, should, <laughs> should we call an expert about Kristen Wiig as Cheetah being a furry or not? Um, this is up to you. All right, we're going to call an expert. Hold on a second. Maybe he'll answer. We'll, we'll find out. The, the, if, oh, if he doesn't oh, okay. answer, this will be the second time in a row that this gig has failed me, and I will probably stop doing it. <laughs> second time two weeks in a row? Right. Well, last week you tried to call somebody else, but yeah. yeah. Hello? Hi, Tom. You're on the Gen and Jump show. How are you doing, buddy? Okay, we got one question, buddy. As you know, we, you are a resident furry expert, okay? And we need one more question for you. Oh, boy. In, right. in, <laughs> in, in the, the film Wonder Woman 1984, which is uh, coming out soon, maybe. Uh-huh. We'll see. You know, coronavirus. Um, and it was just announced that uh, Kristen Wiig is the cheetah in that movie. And she does the full transformation to, like, become, like, the cheetah thing. Does that count as, like, a furry thing or no? Um, honestly... I would say no. Okay, good, good. That's uh, that's that's all I need. She's not afraid. Okay, that's good to know. All right, thank you, buddy. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> all right, talk to you later. Bye. Bye, Tom. <laughs> awesome. I yeah, disagree with Tom, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was already seeing people like you know, this is a character that's been around like as long as Wonder Woman herself, right? But the only thing anybody was saying about Cheetah was going like, "Haha, it looks like the cat's CGI." You know what I mean? Like, this isn't going to work anymore. It's just yeah, it's not. A- it's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to look like shit, dude. It, I just like... I'm, <laughs> having a character whose superpower is that she is a cheetah and she looks like a cheetah is just... It, I think that's only something that will work in comic books. I really do. But let's transition from that to talk about... Um, other things that should maybe only work in comic books. However, the context given to them is maybe being presented in a fun way that it might work. And this is James Gunn tra- crossing the fence to go work for DC with the Suicide Squad. Uh, I saw him on Twitter a couple days ago and he was joking because... um. Marvel's uh, a movie that was supposed to come out this year was The Eternals, and they have shortened that title to Just Eternals. There's no the. I don't know, but James Gunn joked that um, they owed him a the. So he took it and put it in front of the Suicide Squad. (laughs) I don't know. It's just it's like. It's like this weird thing where, like, rebooting a universe, you need to either add or remove the word the, and that'll that'll work for your reboot. Does that make any sense? Uh, sure. I don't think <laughs> Look, we on this program have watched the first Suicide Squad movie, and it was a uh, horrible, horrible piece of shit. I assume it will rank very low when we, uh rank all the movies we've watched in our 100th episode. I assume you agree. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's it's, it's down there. Did you see anything from this, though, and does it look like it might be better to you? I mean, not really. 
No? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think they showed um, show anything. anything concrete. Yeah, that's my issue. Is like, like somehow we got a trailer for the Batman, which isn't coming out until after this, but we still don't have an actual trailer for this. Like all this, it, mu- it must need a fuckload of CGI. Is all I'm thinking. All, all it, well, it was just a bunch of fucking character reveals of people who were just gonna die. And like, yeah, great, that's Suicide Squad. But like, I don't know, fucking. It could be fun. I, I have a lot of faith in James Gunn because both of his big studio. Marvel comic book movies ended up being two of the best ones that they've ever put out. Um, and it, it also seemed to be like one of the few Marvel movies where they gave a director freedom to have like his own creative vision. Um, and like they didn't step on his toes or anything. So I'm hoping DC is doing the same here and kind of just letting James Gunn be James Gunn. But it's very clear in the marketing that that's all they have. And they're just going like, see, it's not, it's not, it's not the old Suicide Squad. This was different. It's James Gunn. See? Like, they're not coming right out and being like, guys, that one was shit. This one's good. But, like, you can tell that that's kind of their worry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I want to believe that this movie could be fun. But... I don't know. Yeah, I hope so. I just, I don't know, man. It's... I hope they pick the right characters to kill off and the right ones to keep. You know, because, like, King Shark looks funny. That could work, maybe. Um, I I hope I, they could kill Pete Davidson, I guess. That's fine. He's probably only in the movie for three lines. He's just like, oh, hey, what up? And then he just dies, I bet. I bet that's all that is. John Cena looks hilarious. I, I really love his costume because it's so fucking bright and colorful and stupid. It looks super out of place in a modern superhero movie. Like he look, like he might as well be wearing a Buzz Lightyear costume. To be honest, it's it's so fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's... <laughs> and and uh, and uh, three movies in, they finally gave Harley Quinn a costume with the colors red and black. Uh, that's uh, interesting. It took them that long. I think they fucking design in, in Suicide Squad took off so hard. Yeah. I just think they weren't going to deviate from it, but now James Gunn doesn't give a shit. He's going to deviate from it. <laughs> I like her design in this new upcoming one. I really do. I like her um, design of Birds of Prey too, by the way. Yeah, actually. No, I like that Harley has kind of evolved to not just have the one outfit, but like I like the color combo of black and red for her character so much and i was like kind of bummed we haven't like really got it yet because those are the colors i think of for that character you know i think the animated version's a good happy medium between that suicide squad look and her original color scheme yeah but anyway (sighs) the jury's still out on that one and the jury is really still out on black adam do you see this fucking shit uh, very little. All I know is that there, there's well, you basically know as much as I know after seeing the quote unquote trailer for Black Adam. It was concept art. Oh, that's it. Oh, um, the rock wasn't even there. I'm pretty sure. Um, it's just like this, like introduction to the character more than anything else, which I guess is fine for the uninitiated. Like I know who Black Adam is. Because I'm a big comic nerd, but maybe not everybody does. I still don't know if he needs his own movie. 
that's kind of weird to me. But I also probably would have said Joker doesn't need his own movie, and that ended up being, like, surprisingly all right. So we'll see. Um, I like The Rock. The Rock's fun. He's genuinely fun. Um, now, granted, this character is supposed to be kind of a brutal villain. Is this good casting? I don't think. <laughs> like, it's not necessarily who I see The Rock playing. I think it might turn but, out fine. But maybe it'll work out fine. I, I foresee them changing the character of Black Adam up significantly to fit The Rock's style. But but we'll see. It's way too early to tell, and I don't know even why they were even talking about this yet. Which uh, will probably I'll probably echo those sentiments later. All right, let's talk about the Snyder Cut. Dude, that trailer was so fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Um, let me let me give you if you're for the uninitiated. Can can I give you a little bit of backstory? Yeah, hit me up. Can I give them a little bit of backstory on 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 why this trailer is the funniest thing in the world? Hit it up. So Zack Snyder, um, you know he he grew to popularity and then he made a little movie called Watchmen, um, adaptation of one of the greatest comic books ever made, and it'll always remain as such. It's just one of those. It's it's gonna go down like. You know, it's the fucking Moby Dick of comic books, you know, just like everybody knows about it. Everybody's influenced by it. It's just huge. So clearly you get hack Zack Snyder to make the adaptation of it. And Snyder is uh, semi great at adapting things because he doesn't really add anything that will necessarily fuck shit up. He just like literally like like if you watch 300 and you read 300, the comic. They're exactly the same. They're exactly the same. So, like, Watchmen should have worked because he was just using the book as, like, the storyboards. You know, he's just going to actually do a one-to-one adaptation. But his interpretation of what music to put in and things like that show his true colors. And how bad he actually is. Um, Zack Snyder probably only knows like 50 songs total. (laughs) And one of those is Hallelujah from from Leonard Cohen. So he put Hallelujah in this movie accompanied by um, a sex scene between Night Owl and Silk Spectre. And it is quite... It's quite possibly one of the worst sex scenes ever filmed. So funny. It's it's really funny. It is supposed to be awkward, but for whatever reason, he chose to score this sex scene to Hallelujah. And I'm sure he thought it was funny, but it kind of just comes across as like just awkward and bad. So it's funny to think about in retrospect because whatever he was trying to do, he failed at immensely. Listen, it's dude, the worst part of that movie, I by take, bar I, none. I could take Zack Snyder's job right now already. The way you make that super awkward is you you like have score leading up to the moment that like they they start having sex and then it cuts off abruptly, right? Maybe. And then you turn way up the noises of them trying to fuck. <laughs> 
and then it I, makes it immediately I mean, so fucking who knows? awkward. I mean, the joke in the comic was that Night Owl's having trouble uh, keeping an erection uh, when he's trying to fuck just as, you know, Dan Dryberg, his alter ego, or his, his actual person. But when he's Night Owl and he's in the costume and Silk Spectres and her sexy super uh, heroine outfit, he has no problem fucking... <laughs> Which is like hilariously weird, yeah, and uh, goes with this weird adult fucked up take on superheroes that Alan Moore was trying to do. Uh, you know, these aren't things that people saw superheroes do until the '80s when this came out. But landing that moment in film is difficult, um, and he doesn't succeed. But anyway, we're only talking about that to talk about the song because he uses Hallelujah again. In Justice League, um, at the beginning of the film, when they're uh, it's post Superman's funeral from Batman v Superman, they're playing a different rendition of Hallelujah. Uh, and like it was embarrassing because now he's taking that song that he used during a sex scene as a joke in a serious context over mourning the death of Superman. And then again, here for the Snyder Cut trailer, he uses Hallelujah again. It's the third time he's used it in his career. Like, come on, man. And, like, I think the context for this one is supposed to be Hallelujah the Snyder Cut is here. It's oh, yeah, coming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is fucking so context. fucking jerking myself off self-congratulatory that it fucking sickens me. Uh, I wanted to be supportive of the Snyder Cut existing because it's not often that a director gets fucked over by the company he's working for, ousted from his movie. Well, or maybe he had to quit. Either way, he went through a bad time. And it's not often that you get an opportunity to come back and write that wrong, if you will. I don't really think he's going to write anything. I think the movie's going to end up being worse. But we'll see. <laughs> it's distributed in, what, four one-hour segments now? Is that what's supposed to happen? Yeah, so you can either watch it as a four-hour long movie or in chunks as one-hour like episodes. Which, I don't know what I'd prefer. Maybe I should just watch it all at once, you know? It's like ripping off a Band-Aid, just get it over with. Just sit down can, with a... I don't think I can spend four hours in one sitting. <laughs> I'll watch it piecemeal. Uh, I mean, should, I have... like, we need to wait till it comes out to know the answer to this, but are we watching that as part of the Gen and Jub show? Like, is it going to be different enough that we need to count it separately in our Batman series? I don't think we should count it separately and, like, properly, like, go through it like we do on Gen and Jub, but I do think we should do, like, a Snyder Cut update every week, and we should watch the episode. Talk about it briefly, because it won't be too much different. Actually, it might be a lot different, because it's way longer. It might be a lot different. Um... I'm assuming there's a lot different. I'm assuming Superman's in a black suit the whole time. I'm assuming his entire resurrection arc is presented differently. Cause that was all weed in that whole scene with, cause that was, you know, you could tell because Cavill's got the missing mustache CGI. <laughs> um, it's just going to be funny to compare and contrast the cuts and see if like any improvements were made or any uh, thing was made worse 
Um, I don't think I've ever awaited a piece of media that I know I'm going to hate more than this, just because I, I think it's going to be hysterical. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> and I don't have to pay the ticket price. I just watch it on HBO Max. Thank you. Thank you, Zack Snyder. Make a million movies, buddy. I'll, I'll, I'll watch them, and I will laugh. I hope you use Hallelujah and Army of the Dead as well. I really do. <laughs> In the, in the during the announcement video where you announced that you replaced uh, Chris D'Elia with Tignataro uh, after it was, uh, you know, found out that Chris D'Elia might have, you know, sexually harassed and raped multiple people. You know, you could have an announcement video about that and you could play Hallelujah during it. That, that'd be real classy. I bet you should do that, dude. You should do that, <laughs> Snyder. I don't know if you heard about that. That's a real I thing have, that's happening. I've heard about that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm just surprised they didn't call Christopher Plummer. See, he's the go-to guy when you have to replace a rapist from your movie. I, I think they should have called Christopher Plummer. Jesus. Uh, what was the, what, so, what's what? Batman after that, right? Or anything else? Let's talk about Batman, because Batman is the thing that looks good. Right. I think that's the thing I, I came away most impressed with i cannot fucking wait for this movie this movie looks dynamite i'm hype actually yeah i'm um, hype about it so this is matt reeves who directed the planet of the apes uh reboot trilogy which are all excellent surprisingly good movies and he gets to have his take on batman here with robert pattinson playing the new batman and he yeah. looks incredible as Batman, the costume is fire, dude. Well, it might be my favorite, like cinematic Batman costume. It might. I think before this, it was going to be the Bale outfit because I love how the Bale outfit looks. But you match that with how Bale portrays Batman, and I don't know if I can really say that's my favorite necessarily. <laughs> like, you know, the suit's great, but then Bale goes, "We're the pull trigger." <laughs> so like you know uh it doesn't seem like pattinson's doing that very much uh he he uh you know a lot of people are pointing out how brutal he is because he beats the fucking shit out of that dude in the trailer but the line delivery of i'm vengeance is just it reminds me more of the animated series than anything yep. if this feels like if you somehow crossed Batman the Animated Series with a more serious mystery movie like Chinatown, this is going to be straight fucking incredible. Um, I hope so, really. <laughs> I don't know how you combine those things, because it feels like you shouldn't. But I think it's cool that they're not really shying away from more tropey Batman stuff while simultaneously approaching it seriously like as serious as the dark knight but without like the almost utter disdain for comic books that those movies had <laughs> you know because yeah. they like they approach themselves so seriously that they like rewrote batman to work in a different context uh, i think this is gonna embrace the stupidity of comic books and and the fun you can have with them while still being kind of grim and serious and I'm all for it. It looked good. I'm excited. 
That's really also, like shout outs. Uh, shout outs to using something in the way. That's yeah. a cool. That's a cool trailer song. Song choices. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. That was probably so the only thing. Announced. It was the only thing mm-hmm. that came out of like the fandom like excited about. Yeah, because because everything I'm like I either don't know enough or I'm worried. So let's talk about the video games. <laughs> Time to get Two worried. games here. Gotham Knights and Suicide Squad kill the Justice League. Um, I guess we'll talk about Gotham Knights first. Yeah. It so, looks okay, but there's some there's some things that give me pause. Um it it it's confusingly a game where you don't play as Batman, but you play as uh Batgirl, Robin, Nightwing, and Red Hood. Yes. Which is cool. I like that it's not Batman, but confusingly, this isn't a sequel to Arkham Knight, even though the setup seems to perfectly work with Arkham Knight because it's like Batman's gone and now we have to fill the void. Like, I thought it was going to be a sequel to Arkham Knight when I was watching the trailer, but they've announced that that is not the case. It is an entirely new separate universe. I think that might be a mistake. And I also think it spells out a twist in the game, which is that Batman is totally still alive and you will play as him in that game late in that game. 100%. Maybe or not. Because nah, uh, you're going to a whole ton of interesting stuff because this thing might be a game as a service. Well, yeah. And Batman's the fifth unlockable character. Yeah, we'll um, I, I, you know, I'm not sure. I, I like the environments so far. Remind me of the Arkham games that they showed. And yeah, uh, the combat looks very good and like the Arkham games. But then there was like numbers over enemies heads and they had like health bars. And that's very different. Yep, there's also a loot um, drop. And there's also loot drops. Great, I'm so glad we're getting a Destiny Batman game. I mean, honestly, if if it plays like an Arkham game, I don't know how much I will care. It just because depends. I like that gameplay so much. But it's it's the formula. <laughs> the weird thing about all these people trying to operate doing the games of service thing that Destiny does, don't none of them quite understand why Destiny works. Mm-hmm. Like, Destiny does a great job at providing, like, a lot of really cool, like, great things for you to unlock. And most of it directly influences the gameplay. Because yeah. Because you're getting different guns that all do different things. The exotic guns act entirely differently from normal guns. And they're all unique in, like, their own way. And then, like, you even have armor that affects your abilities and stuff like that. And, like, most of these games just, like, don't accomplish that in the way that Destiny does. Yeah. It doesn't make and, and acquiring the way that, gear is fun. The way that previous WB games have handled this shit poorly makes me have pause as well. Like, is this going to be some kind of, like, horrible microtransaction loot game nightmare like yeah. Shadow of War? Or maybe even like the Injustice 2 and Mortal Kombat 11? Yeah, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> Worry about that. Worry about that with both of these games. Yeah, so the other game, which uh, I'm, I'm less 
I care about less because what they showed was less substantial. Uh, no gameplay, just a CGI trailer, and it doesn't come out till 2022. So, like, as far as I'm concerned, they might as well not have even told us about it because, like, I have to, like, just forget this game exists for two years and not care about it because, like, what's the point? What's the point of telling us this early? I hate when games do that. <laughs> I really do. Like, you could tell us that you're working on that, but don't show us any footage and, like, get us all hyped for it un- until it's time to actually talk about it. You know what I mean? Right. And and what they showed didn't really, like, wow me or anything. There was, like, a, a bit of funny dialogue, a bit of cringy dialogue, and then uh, we, we know about as much about that game as we did already. Um, they did mention that it's a open world game still but it's metropolis instead of gotham yeah and you got the, the four playable characters harley quinn deadshot captain boomerang and king shark and i i think it's like drop in and out one to four players yeah this seems any, like at any be, point from what's described it seems like this is gonna be a lot, a lot more of like a straightforward like co-op campaign game yeah i hope that's the case i hope it's not as games of, of us as a service as Gotham Knights, but but it's weird that both of them are going down this route of multiplayer Arkham-esque game. Right? It's weird that they both arrived at the same conclusion. Yeah. We have to make it a multiplayer cool. now. It would have been cool if Rocksteady kept doing single player, and then like, you know, you have WB Montreal or, or whoever is doing Gotham Knights. I mean, it, it took... Uh, it took so to the, mul- the multiplayer game. Who knows how long it took them to arrive at that conclusion, though? Because like Rocksteady hasn't made a game in like what six years almost. Yeah, so I was talking about this with your brother, and we had theories as to what happened, and we both had different ones. And I, I you know, I'm not a video game man <laughs> who makes video games and works in the video games industry, so I can only speculate. However, uh, our casual look at this situation uh we both had different interpretations uh your brother said that he thought that they initially were trying to make a superman game and they made the metropolis assets and they made assets for several dc characters and they couldn't get it to work right and they abandoned a single player superman game in favor of making a suicide squad game as a second choice and that explains where these six missing years go um me on the other hand i think that they were approached by wb to make a suicide squad game to tie in with suicide squad from a couple years back and maybe come out the year after when Suicide Squad would be coming, you know, to DVD and Blu-ray and streaming services. And, uh, you know, it'd be a big, uh, big hit, you know. Hey, there's the Suicide Squad movie that did real well. Have, here, here, here's a game with those characters, too. But then that movie sucked dick so hard that they kind of, like, took a step back. and. um Maybe simultaneously development was rocky and DC didn't want to further Solly the, the Suicide Squad brand name. So now they are waiting until James Gunn's Suicide Squad comes out 
and then the next year will be when this game comes out because hopefully that is a good suicide squad uh movie and hopefully the brand will be restored and everything will be wonderful once again now like you know neither of these theories are necessarily correct and maybe elements of both are correct (laughs) like who knows but i there had to have been something that happened right yeah, it, it, this can't be like a cut and dry thing. Like, like, what do you think happened? There's six missing years here. I think a lot of it's just generic development. Hell, I think originally they were probably looking to make some kind of single player video game, right? And yeah, well, that's kind of like, why Josh thought it was Superman. They let it be like Superman or like another Batman game or something else, right? Yeah. And then they probably either I couldn't get any great ideas or couldn't get anything off the ground, ran into some major complications. Uh, there hasn't been any like super huge like management changes at Rocksteady, so like that yeah does mess too much up. I know they had some of their staff leave and go to other companies, but that's just typical in the games industry. So either they had an ideas issue, or they really could not get their original ideas playable. Right. Well, you know, Superman as a character in video games has had a hell of a history there. You know. Like, there isn't one good Superman game. They fuck it up a different way every time. It's difficult. I imagine, like, making a Superman game is difficult. And that's why I thought Rocksteady could probably pull yeah. it off. Well, I would not be surprised if your brother was correct, actually. Because, yeah. like, it would make a lot of sense. Like, I, I, I realized they didn't want to set it in Gotham for a fourth time. But Metropolis is a weird pick for Suicide Squad. I don't really think of any city as far as Suicide Squad goes. And this game is kill the Justice League, right? It's not just kill Superman. Superman lives in Metropolis. All the other heroes live elsewhere. You know, if if you're fighting Wonder Woman, is she in Metropolis now? That's not where she usually operates. What about Flash? That's not where he usually operates. So, like, what is the answer to this? Like, was it a Superman game initially? I wouldn't be necessarily surprised, because I guarantee you that Rocksteady was in a position to make whatever they wanted oh, I'm sure. after they made the Batman trilogy. So I'm what sure character to DC. What character are you going to try and make a game out of? I bet you your first answer, your first pick, isn't necessarily, oh, the Suicide Squad. Do you know what I mean? Like Maybe it, maybe, maybe it was, <laughs> but like six years of development, I highly doubt it. Mm-hmm. It's coming out in 2022, so actually like eight years in between their, two, their previous game and this one. Yeah, something had to way. shift. Something had to shift in development, right? Yeah, this might be, uh, yeah, they might have been able, not been able to pull the Superman thing off, I guess, a single-player experience, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, after this game comes out, their next project is Justice League. Well, how's there going to be a Justice League game when they kill the Justice I'm League, Justin? Justice League well, no shit, but that, they want me to think that. I gotta say, I'm getting I'm getting kind of sick of evil Superman as the plot point. Because this game's gonna have it, and the Injustice games have it, and even to a certain extent, Batman v Superman had, like, you know, and Justice League <laughs> even had so many, Superman as the antagonist as a plot. So many people line. can't come up with a different, like, way to make Superman not, like... Well, it's the problem of how to handle him now. Yeah, because Superman is like a inevitably sort of dated superhero. Because he's uh, 
really pure. I I don't know. I think you just approach him the way you approached Captain America in the MCU, and that worked. I don't know. You need to just be earnest about it and not embarrassed by how Superman is. It's like DC's embarrassed of how Superman is, and they're trying to like excuse it by having high concept evil Superman shit. It's like just have him be Superman. Have him be a I'd, massive I'd fucking. I respect it more. Just have him be a fucking moron. <laughs> that could be fun. He's just like very naive to the way the world is, and he's yeah. like you know all for truth and justice, but it makes him kind of like kind of a dummy. Makes him gullible and like makes him yeah, makes yeah. Him an idiot. I think that would be fun. I would much rather see a Batman Superman movie of that caliber <laughs> where like Batman's like you fucking you fucking big dumb red and blue idiot. You got to see past the the system, man. <laughs> I don't know. Like what anyway. If, like what if in like Batman v Superman, right? Like what if like mm-hmm. instead of like having a stupid plot where like you have like fucking Lex, like Lex, like dangling fucking shit over Superman's head and like forcing him to do something. What if he like made Lex an actual charming character and like a fucking not a weirdo and like made him like that's charm a whole other, that's Superman? A whole other problem, yeah. And like charm Superman into thinking that Batman is actually a true evil. Yeah, I would. I would have much rather had that. And a lot more fascinating. Yeah. It arrived at the same conclusions, too. Wouldn't have changed anything. Yeah. Well. Let me direct your movies. <laughs> I have no idea how to direct a movie. Don't make me direct your movies. You, you can't do any worse than the Snyder cut. I'm looking forward to the cut lip cut of Justice League. Where, Dude, uh, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not willing to watch any more seconds of that movie than I have to, so no, I will not edit it. No, thanks. <laughs> Come on, the world deserves the the cut lip cut. You got to put in a Tycho drum set somewhere in the background, just so people know it's yours. It's your cut. <laughs> All right, fuck that. Let's let's talk about Gamescom instead of uh, DC. Yeah, this will be a really uh, quick is... one because nothing fucking happened. Nothing happened. <laughs> this was two hours long the opening night, and I had uh, I didn't really have any expectations. The only thing I was excited to see that they announced prior to this was Fall Guys Season 2, which looks good. It looks cool. I like the medieval theme. The new games look cool. I can't wait for them to come out. Fall Guys is a good game. Excellent game. But you know that by now. Everybody's playing Fall Guys. So what else happened that we can talk about, Justin? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One thing I will say about Gamescom opening night, though. Mm-hmm. Is that my lord? The production value was immensely higher than DC Fandom just a few days earlier. Yeah, it's kind of funny, and isn't think, it? The re- and the way they accomplished it is very interesting. Um, Jeff Keighley is actually on a set. Yeah, if you notice by his shadows and everything, everything's back projected. That's better than the big green screen thing, right? So what they're doing instead the, of like we're in a dome, whoa, like we're standing several a, feet apart. Yeah, so instead of chroma keying a giant like green screen sound stage, mm-hmm. you have a you have a a projected sound stage with a with like a bunch of like uh, screens underneath, and they're back projected onto, and that's how you get that ah, whole effect. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, like, and, and Jeff Keeley's just like. 
He's a good presenter. Well, yes, say what you will about Jeff Keighley, but he he's been doing this for years and he's a better host than anybody that tried to talk about DC fandom shit that whole time. Right. Man, that shit was embarrassing. When the Snyder Cut trailer ended and it cut to like this random woman I've never seen before in my life. And she's like, wow, Zack Snyder, gotta love it. It was just like so ungenuine. Right. It made me laugh a lot. That so kind of like, happened all throughout the event. And that's the thing. You get people who are passionate about that kind of stuff. You, you see it all the time where like, weirdly enough, you like the best presenters that I've seen and like hosts for events and stuff like that have been in video games. Like, yeah. you're, you're Jeff Keeley's, you're Greg Miller's, like, these people, like, have just, like, a better energy and, like, do legitimately care about the things that they're presenting, like, very much. And I think that really sure. helps. Yeah, I think it does. I think Jeff Keeley's just excited to talk about whatever games are coming out. Jeff Keeley loves all video games. Yeah, Jeff Keeley's just always loved video games in general. He's done, he's worked in them <laughs> for a long time. He's one of the, he's one of the OGs, man. And he, uh, it helps to not be uh, overly enthusiastic and it also helps not to be uh, overly cynical. Right. You, you hit that balance and you can present stuff real good. I'm probably way too cynical to do that because like I was high... cynical watching this event. I don't... You, you don't have a high energy like I do. I do a lot of like before Corona hit, I was getting into uh, getting into uh, casting for uh, for fighting games. Mm-hmm. The thing that I was doing and like the big thing about it is like maintaining an energy. It's like super important. And like yeah. and if you and if you like just converse your passion like into your presentation, it goes a very long way. Despite even if you're not like the most articulate person, even if you have a voice that's a little too high, like mine, like you can, if you really enjoy what you're talking about, it'll come through in like what you're in your words and your tone. That's my hope usually when I talk about shit. Right, and like a lot of a lot of people just like don't get that they get up and they're like a cardboard box and like it's annoying. If you could sense through your phone my utter disdain for a film, uh, then I've succeeded <laughs> in my job here. <laughs> right. Anyway. Um, let's, let's talk about a fucking movie. You don't want to talk about Cod Blops Cold War? <laughs> no, actually, I absolutely do not. That game looks like a piece of shit. Ronald Reagan's in it, and I wish you could shoot him. Let's go to... Uh... Uh, maybe you can. Look, there's one thing in Gamescom I want to talk about that you may have missed that is an incredible story. Okay. The gamer car. Oh, no, the gamer. I forgot about the gamer car. (laughs) The car built by gamers for gamers. (laughs) Oh, so. uh, I hate it. This was embarrassing. The thing is called the Team Fordzilla P1. And it is a, a car not being made for retail sale uh, from Ford. Saying gamers from all over the world played a significant role in designing it. And uh, it looks like a Hot Wheels. It looks like a bit like maybe like a Batmobile. It's a future car looking piece of shit. It's not nearly as bad as that car that Elon Musk was was shilling a, a little while ago. But it's still pretty stupid looking. Um, it's just like, you know, interpretation of the future that will never come to be. It's always embarrassing when when people do this. 
You know, it's like it reminds me of like in the 50s. When they were like, what's the future going to look like? And they were like, look at the house of tomorrow. It has automated mixing machines for your wife to stay in the kitchen and like stuff like that. You know what I mean? This kind of stuff reminds me of that shit. It's just like, this is what cars will look like in 2060. And I'm like, no, no, they won't. You're fucking stupid. Cars will not look like Hot Wheels in 2060, I guarantee you. It looks stupid. That's all I wanted to say. Gamer car is a hilarious idea. Yeah, I was fucking crying. Immediately had to go to the group chat and be like, Gamer car! Gamer car! Look at anybody, of course, let fucking Ford make it, which also means that, like, you're not going to be able to replace any of the parts effectively. So, like, I don't know, yeah. I wouldn't bother. Fix or repair daily your gamer car. <laughs> <clears throat> just gotta, you just gotta get some can there and blow it out, okay? Just let me see. <laughs> get that gamer gunk out of there with the gamer spray. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's talk about, now let's talk about my, my favorite. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my there's favorite no real gamer good thing. There's no transition here at all. <laughs> A fistful of gamers. A fuckload of money. Yeah. Um, We're watching Sergio Leone and Clint Eastwood's classic trilogy. Um, The Dollars trilogy, as it's known. It's uh, this movie, A Fistful of Dollars, and then for a few dollars more. And then the absolute classic, which I assume will be the best of the three. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's one of the greatest movies ever made, so yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I actually don't think I've seen the second one. Or maybe I've seen parts of it, so I'm very curious to see that. But I had seen this one before. It just took me a while to remember. Um, so, A Fistful of Dollars. This is one of the oldest movies we watched on Gannon Jub. Uh, released in 1964. Uh, didn't come to American theaters until 1967 with its sequels releasing that same year. So technically in America, 1967 was the year we got Fistful of Dollars and the other two movies, <laughs> which is kind of awesome. Uh, it's an all-time great. It's just incredible. It's one of the best Westerns ever made. And it, it just, you know, it changed the landscape of that genre forever. Yeah. Um, you know, it it, 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 it popularized the uh the subgenre known as spaghetti westerns, which um is a hilariously stereotypical way to say western made in Italy. <laughs> it always makes me laugh that the actual term for it is spaghetti westerns. It's goofy. I love it though. <laughs> so, you know, Italian movies, um, for whatever reason, uh, during this period, they overdubbed voices, you know, like it's, it's shot silently. I'm not, not every Italian movie, but a lot of them shot silently and all dialogue and sound effects are added later during the editing process. And that's how this movie is. You know, I, I remember the first time I watched uh, probably the good, the bad, and the ugly. I was kind of thrown off a bit by this because I was like, "That's not how movies supposed to be." 
as like a as like a younger man. <laughs> I was like, why movie like this? Why didn't they just record sound? <laughs> but like, uh, <laughs> it's something you get used to. The more of these you watch, I really love the spaghetti western style. I've... It's very um, like somewhat indie in a way because you mm-hmm. could tell that like it's like really like you know shoestring budget strung together, you know, just like flying by on the seat of your pants and just trying to make a movie work. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm very, very much used to this style. Um, and, and I'm really loving going back to these movies. Uh, me and my, my late grandfather uh, used to watch a lot of spaghetti westerns together. And, hmm. uh, yeah, this, we of course watched this trilogy. I've seen all three movies. And uh, absolutely adore them. Leone has a second trilogy, technically, that I would also like to watch for our show at some point. So uh, that starts with Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. And then there's a second movie that's called um, it's it's called something else here. I forget what it is. It, it's something like uh, it's something like. Uh, fuck, it has a funny title. Give me one second. Oh, okay, okay. It's called Duck, You Sucker, which is, like, fucking an insane title. But apparently, like, in in some territories, it's called uh, Once Upon a Time in the Revolution. And then the third movie in that trilogy is called Once Upon a Time in America. It is a gangster movie that I've never seen about the Prohibition era. Apparently, Sergio Leone was supposed... He was asked to direct The Godfather... And he turned it down and made this instead. Like this was the gangster movie he wanted to make, and it was the last movie he ever made. Um, it's it's also one of the only things that he made that is super popular. Well, it's not that popular, but like you know, got attention. I should say that isn't a fucking western. Uh, so that trilogy is only. I didn't know that trilogy is. Yeah, I didn't know it was part of that trilogy. That's interesting. It's only a trilogy because of the titles. Like everything else is separate. Uh, different actors, different locations. But I would love to watch all of those. I'd take an excuse to watch other Sergio Leone movies. Absolutely. Shit. Um, and also, I've heard that, that Once Upon a Time in America is great, depending on what cut you watch. It's either terrible or great, depending on what cut you watch. The theatrical cut cut out a lot and sucks. Mm. I, I think I even like remember, like I forget, it might have been Ebert. It might have been Ebert. Ebert said it was like uh, simultaneously the worst film of the year and the best film of the year, depending on what version you watched <laughs> or something like that when it came out. Because like they like really fucked him over in the edit on that movie. They dumbed it down and took out a lot of shit. Um, so hopefully you can even watch the good version. I'll have to look into that. But that's a tale for another day. So let's talk about Sergio Leone. He's our director. He's the key creative force for this whole thing. Um, So he saw that the Western genre in the late 50s had kind of become a bit stale. And, you know, it's overly sanitary and safe. Uh, Italian moviegoers, according to him, like he, he would see them openly laughing at the cliches of Westerns. And that's no surprise, really. The Western was done to death in the 50s and 60s. Absolutely. You know, just like watch any just random John Wayne movie. You know, not all of them are made equal. 
but it, but like some of them are better than others, but like, you know, or just watch like, you know, some episodes of Gunsmoke or Bonanza, you know, it's, it's very, there's a formula to these things and it was kind of getting played out. So he sought to make a Western that was a bit darker, a bit grittier, less heroic, maybe even slightly satirical as, as kind of a commentary on what Westerns had, had become and what he would probably rather them be. And this idea of his changes Westerns as a whole, because now if you're seeing a Western get made in a modern context, it's almost always Leone inspired, like more than yeah. anything else. Like you're going more gritty. The, the heroes are less heroic. The villains are gray, you know, every, like it's, it's less standard hero, John Wayne versus stereotypical bad guy and more mixed morally. And I appreciate that because it makes Westerns a more, uh, f- fun to digest genre for sure. <laughs> at least for me i'm not the biggest western guy but i've seen a lot that i like but i definitely prefer these kind where things are a little uh more gray morally and yeah. violent that's my shit for sure so the story is based on akira kurosawa's yojimbo which came out in italy in 1963 uh, you know, a year before this came out. Now accounts differ between those involved, but it's it's pretty fucking clear that Leone saw this movie and based his film on its story without permission from Kurosawa. <laughs> I like you know things are super different back then. Like now. No one is going to plagiarize anyone because you can get instantly fucking sued over that shit. There's lawsuits all the time over shit like that. But back then it was a little different. There wasn't the crazy copyright law necessarily. Yeah, it, wasn't as, it wasn't as airtight as it is now. So they probably didn't think they were going to have any blowback on this. They were just like, fuck it. I like this movie. Let's make let's turn it into a Western. And they didn't think anything about it. It's a fun concept, uh, the plus, by the way, but... Yeah, the plots of the two films are incredibly similar. You know, both feature the main character setting two warring sides against one another. And uh, despite Leone ignoring uh, an incoming lawsuit and attempting to point out that Yojimbo itself was inspired by an 18th century play, Servant of Two Masters, uh, Kurosawa and Toho Films successfully sued. Uh, and they settled out of court for 15% of the film's worldwide gross. Uh, I have a quote here from Kurosawa. He saw a fistful of dollars, and here's what he had to say on it. Um, it's a fine movie, but it was my movie. And that's what he said. <laughs> I mean, true. Yeah, I mean, what do you? Yeah, I, I hope that the uh, the sequels are um, not also plagiarized from other movies, but uh, who knows? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, the lawsuit delayed the U.S. release of the film, 
uh, with potential distributors being understandably nervous about also getting sued by Akira Kurosawa. Um, so that delayed its release release until 1967 when they just released all of them in tandem, which is cool. But, you know, so who wrote this movie? Besides the writers of, of Yojimbo, of course. Uh, now, that de- that depends on who you ask. Um, <laughs> I was looking into this and I was like, how many how many people wrote this movie? Because if you go on IMDb, there's a lot of writers, including Akira Kurosawa and, and people from Yojimbo that uh, it, it lists as uncredited. Uh, but then there's a lot of people who are uncredited that had nothing to do with Yojimbo. So I looked a little further. You got you got this guy named Adriano Bolzanoi Bolzoni. He claims it was his idea to turn Yojimbo into a western, and he wrote a draft with Ducio Tassari. But Fernando De Leo says he wrote the script with Tassari, a draft Leone didn't like, which Leone rewrote with Tassari. And then confusing this further, sometimes a man named Luciano Vincenzoni is given credit. And Leone himself claimed he wrote the script entirely himself based on a treatment from Tassari. Like, just a, you know, he liked it sort of, but rewrote the entire thing himself. All of these writers and more are listed on IMDb. <laughs> so, who actually wrote the script? Is it a combination of all of these people? Is it mostly Leone? Or Leon, however you want to say his name. I'm not sure what the pronunciation of that is. I think it could go either way. Yeah, I think either way, I don't think it's... Italians, am I right? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. You know, maybe the truth is all of them wrote parts of it. It's hard to say. You know, it's it's, this is weird. (laughs) Either way, the film was shot in Spain near Hoyo de Manzanares as well as in the uh, Tabernas Desert, which would be the case for its sequels as well. Um, I also think that I really dig how this movie has the kind of like, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many Westerns before Spaghetti Westerns were a thing addressed Mexico as a major player in Westerns. Uh, I like the incorporation of Mexico into these things, you know, I mean, surely there was like bandits and such, but I always like, uh, Westerns to be a little more diverse than just like a bunch of white people on the frontier. You know what I mean? (laughs) Although I guess you could argue that like, you know, I, I don't know, uh, how many people were actually Mexican that made this movie. It's another problem with the 60s. But uh I don't know. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um so obviously we got to talk about Clint Eastwood. Yeah. This is this is his first starring role in a film and now he's obviously, you know, one of the most recognizable and respected actors of all time. Um I say respected at least maybe until a, a good chunk of years ago when he talked to a chair at the, at the national convention that one time you remember that, right? Yeah. That was, that was funny as fuck. Uh, <laughs> but 
but you know, he, he has a big, big, cool career. He's made a lot of movies directed as well. Um, he just did uh, Richard Jewell, which I don't know how that movie is, but he's still out there directing movies. Not so much starring in him anymore. So he got his start in a television Western called Rawhide. Get him up. Brought him on. Rawhide. Yeah. Uh, that's a much more conventional Western than this. <laughs> uh, uh, Clint used some props from Rawhide in this movie, by the way. He just took them from the set the guns and the belt and stuff and just brought him right over to here. Cause like, eh, nobody's going to notice. Uh, so, you know, uh, maybe because he uh, got tired of doing more conventional Westerns, this, this movie interested him. Uh, the quote from Clint himself uh, quote in Rawhide, I did get awfully tired of playing the conventional white hat the hero who kisses old ladies and dogs and was kind to everybody. I decided it was time to be an anti-hero, end quote. Now, Eastwood was not Leone's first choice, though, and he wanted Henry Fonda, but the production couldn't afford Henry Fonda. (laughs) So (laughs) then Leone considered Charles Bronson, who did look at the script, but he said no because he said the script was bad. So then uh, Leone, it's ironic that both of these actors said no, because once these movies became popular and made money, uh, Leone would later get to work with both of them in Once Upon a Time in the West. <laughs> Funny how things turn around when uh, the cash starts flowing. Mm-hmm. So Leone would then ask an actor named Richard Harrison, who also turned the role down. He had previously been in the first Italian Western, Duello Nell, Texas, and he hated the experience, and he wasn't about to do a spaghetti Western again. So, he recommended Eastwood. Uh, I have a funny quote from Harrison himself. Maybe my greatest contribution to cinema was not doing a fistful of dollars and recommending Clint for his part. <laughs> so, film history is made. Clint Eastwood, quite possibly one of the most recognizable Western actors of all time, gets uh, his big break here. So this was an Italian-German-Spanish production. Uh, that's a lot of it's a lot of different languages, and then Clint Eastwood speaks English, and a lot of people didn't. You know, I don't know if anyone on the set spoke all of these languages. Probably <laughs> so like the communication problems were pretty regular on set. Uh, Leone didn't speak English. Uh, Clint had to use actor and stuntman Benito Stefanelli as a go between an interpreter. He was not getting paid to be an interpreter. It's just how it ended up. I think he's also did the same for the future films in this series. <sighs> So then you get the dubbing, you know, because what else are you going to do? Everybody, I, I assume they shoot it in a way that everybody is speaking their on their their natural language yeah, sort of in their like, performance. Yeah, it, well, it does look like uh, Clint's dialogue matches up with Clint's mouth. Right. Exactly. More than the other characters, because the other characters don't at all. Right. Because clearly they didn't get the actual actors to dub it in English because many of them didn't speak it. Uh, most of them didn't work in any other American films ever again. So, like, you know, because this became very popular in America. 
but it doesn't really seem that any many people crossed over. But apparently, this this leads to a bit of a um, <laughs> a unique problem in the Italian version of the movie. Uh, Clint Clint's character drastic like like is drastically different. It differs immensely because for some reason the voice actor gave him a much much more sinister edge to his voice. So I think there's like a bit of a debate over you know it's kind of like debating sub or dub. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like the original Italian version. This is what Leone envisioned, but then Clint's not Clint. So is that preferable? Like, do you want natural sounding Clint as Clint intended? Or do you want everybody else to sound how they actually sounded in Italian? I think I'd prefer Clint because he's the main guy. Right. <laughs> I don't think any of the voice actors necessarily did a terrible job, except maybe for the little kid who I'm, I'm not convinced was a little kid. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> that happens a lot, actually. Um, yeah, these, I know. Yeah, especially in spaghetti westerns, it happens a lot where they just they're dubbing over every single thing, and they just they just like get whoever. Like, hey, you, can you make your voice really high pitched? Sure, you be the kid, or they'll, they'll get like women on set to portray the kid. Just come in, the, just come in the booth and go, "Mommy, can't I see her?" <laughs> right. Very it common. Like, actually, sounded like shit. Yeah, it made me think of this. Is obviously much worse, but I it made me think of Manos, the Hands of Fate. Yep. Where you had just like two people overdubbing all the characters in that movie, including the little girl. So the little girl is just like a fucking 40 year old man going like, mommy, I'm cold. And it's like it sounds like shit. <laughs> it's so funny. It's not nearly that bad, but it, like, you know, it, it does. It does. It gives this film a certain charm, I'd say. You know, there's lots of effects and little little hiccups in this movie that I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like <laughs> the way the blood looks and it's like bright neon red. Love that shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's the fakest blood I've ever seen in a movie in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like, yeah. who gives a shit? It's that's fun. Effect. Like nobody, like, yeah, nobody, there, there's no, there's no bullet holes going in anybody either. Like this is just like, how no, it is. they just get shot and they fall over. Um, again, this is way worse, but it reminds me of that one clip from that. I don't know what movie it is, but it's like the guy that gets shot and just goes like, ah, ah and then he gets shot again. He just goes, ah, yeah. and it just goes on for like two <laughs> minutes. <laughs> oh yeah. It's all these little like weird things about it. Like I appreciate them more in this movie than others because it's so iconic in that way. Yeah. Well, I don't think the movie ever like fully lapses into feeling farcical, though. Um, and I think a, a, the glue that holds this movie together and makes it feel epic and serious is the score. score and it's super important scores fucking for awesome. all three of these movies and might be my favorite aspect of all three is the, the Ennio Morricone score, you know. It's great because, of course, it is because every Morricone score is incredible. <laughs> he's he's like, you know, he's one of the all time greats. Yeah. If not possibly the greatest. 
Yep, film be. composer of all time. Yeah. Like literally every film composer has been inspired by Ennio Morricone. Of course. And he and he just he's he's left behind an unparalleled legacy. He just passed away in July. Uh, he was super old. But um uh rest in peace to that amazing man. Uh scoring films right up to probably close to his death. I, I don't know if Hateful Eight was his last one, but Hateful Eight is an excellent score from him, which uh, surprisingly utilizes unused tracks that he did for The Thing, which is like one of his best scores. Uh, his score for The Thing is immaculate. He, he can really elevate a movie. You know, like if this movie had a worse score, it may not have had as big of an impact. As it did. It's everything coming together. Um, Yeah, not to undermine Leone or Eastwood or anybody else involved, because they all also did a phenomenal job. Like, Leone's direction and his experimentation, like, you know, is amazing. Uh, This this film is immaculately shot. Um, I love the close-ups, which, like, he kind of uses to dramatic effect. I was reading about this, like, you know... Close-ups were used very differently in film before this movie. Yes. He uses it for very dramatic effect just to show, like, you know, close-up of Eastwood's eyes. Usually a close-up was just to deliver a line of dialogue. You just wanted the whole actor's face. Uh, His framing of close-ups is fucking gorgeous. Just, like, just, it's so fucking perfect. It's hard to, like, really, like, say what is going on. One of my my favorite ones in the entire movie is, uh, we'll get to that point, but uh, when he, uh, Goes and he sees uh the very beginning of the movie when he sees the girl for the first time. Yeah, he just does uh, like that little that that small smile. Mm-hmm. And, like the way it's framed, like really like just delivers like that that little like awkward smile effect and it like permeates yeah. it on your screen and it's really good. Movies didn't and the really editing's do that. really great yeah. too. Movies didn't I really particularly do that liked um the segment where he's looking for the cash in the wine barrels and tapping the wine barrels with the butt of his gun. And it edits back and forth between that and uh, the two gangs going to the graveyard. Yeah. Um, it's just, just immaculately edited. This is just like, you know, there's a reason why this movie has the legacy that it does. You know, the, the tricks of the trade are in this movie. And it, and it like needs study if you're going to be a filmmaker, I assume, you know, because it, it, it's all there. <laughs> yeah. At least a lot of it. Yeah. Hold on. So let's uh, let's talk about it. The, the events of yeah. the, the film. The thing I want to, I also want to uh, start off with is that I love the title card to this movie. Just the, it's the really Black, good. red, and white, and just like all the red stuff, like people just getting shot and falling and shit. Oh, yeah, and the, the fucking... The sound effects and people falling over dead. Uh, all three of these movies have good opening credit sequences, if I, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly has an excellent one. I know that, at least. <laughs> I'm so excited to watch that movie. Holy shit. I fucking love that movie. Yeah, I love that title crawl. But then you start off, uh, you start off with uh, Clint Eastwood uh, riding by on a horse. And man, is that guy thirsty. He's thirsty as fuck. <laughs> he needs a goddamn oh. drink. <laughs> I mean, he's he's riding through the desert, just me. I understand why he's thirsty. So he sees, he sees the well and he's like, drink! He fucking has mm-hmm. at it. And while he's uh, while he's doing a little sippy sip, you got a uh, the, the a little boy that's not voiced by a little boy. 
Um, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> running across the street from one building to another. Mama. Hey, mama. And he climbs in through a window and immediately gets kicked out by a bunch of gnarly-looking dudes. Yeah. And they start shooting um, at the fucking kid. Mm-hmm. I think this 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 movie sets its tone well immediately, and you know, for us in the year 2020, this isn't like necessarily something that's like. It's overly shocking, I assume, but like yeah. you have to remember that this movie came out in '64, uh, and people were like aghast and mad at this movie a bit. Like, and and people hated it at first. Um, like, yeah, I was looking through like early reviews, and people like really fucking ragged on it, uh, <laughs> like because it's it's violent, it's amoral. You know, this isn't what people expected from westerns, or maybe even movies it's, itself. Uh, you know, you start this movie off with a kid getting shot at. I don't think they're shooting to murder the kid, but it's still like pretty violent. And there's some other things in this movie that like probably didn't really get seen on film before this. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it's, it's interesting how times have changed. Oh, on that note, I got to talk about something that's fucking crazy. So the first television airing of a fistful of dollars was on ABC in 1975, and they added a four and a half minute long prologue to the film. And this prologue was added because they were worried that the TV audience, which is more, I guess, family friendly and more politically correct than a than a film audience, you know, because there's no ratings. It's just TV kids could watch this you know that was probably like what they were thinking at least uh they added this scene in an attempt to make the movie have more context for its violence and more context for eastwood's character so this this new opening had harry dean stanton playing an unnamed officer and he offers eastwood's character a pardon if he cleans up the town of San Miguel, uh, you know, just to take away any ambiguity or amoralness from Eastwood's character, you know, the only thing that makes him interesting, (laughs) just take away all the grayness and go like, you know, if you want to be free, you're going to clean up this town. See, which is a fucking deal that doesn't make any sense. And uh, this intro was made without the consent of Leone or anyone else involved with the film, I think. Uh, in, instead it was directed and written by Monty Hellman, who had nothing to do with the original film and all the footage of Eastwood in this intro was, uh, primarily close-ups from other movies, you know, just shove it in there and make it work. Uh, I cannot believe that this happened. Um, uh, now it was eventually dropped from television a few years after. And uh, I believe nowadays the only way you can see it is on the uh, DVD Blu-ray of this movie as a special feature. At least one of the printings has this as a special feature, which is interesting. I feel like this is a weird part of this film's history that like it's cool that it's there to watch isolated. But man, what a terrible idea (laughs) this is, because the interesting thing about Clint Eastwood's character is that he has no name. You don't know anything about who he was before he came here. You don't know anything about him morally. You don't know where he stands. You don't know if he's actually a terrible guy or a good guy. 
And that's why everything works in this movie. Because, you know, obviously me and you, having known how the movie works beforehand, probably know that he's going to not be a bad guy. But you don't necessarily know that the first time you're watching this movie, right? Most of it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know if he's going to actually just work for both criminal organizations and be a huge piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, to, to like working for organizations that shoot at kids and women. Like, you, you don't know. Yeah, you, you spend most of this movie going like, well, he's just banking up on a bunch of money from both of these families, and he's just he's just trying to get rich, apparently. Yeah. Like, he seems like an asshole for a good majority of this movie before, like, it's revealed that he's actually a good guy. Right. Um, and that is all taken away if you have this bullshit intro. <laughs> <laughs> that they made. Uh, I'm glad it's not still stuck to this movie. Yeah, that'd be that'd be horrendous. So anyway, after after uh, after our boy Clinton here, uh, whereas uh, the 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 uh, the grave man we'll see later uh, calls him Joe. Yes, the, the, that's the closest thing we have to a name for yeah. this character. Yeah. But he's just calling him Joe. I, I assume as like he's an average Joe. Yeah, and I, I bet that Grave Digger calls everybody Joe. I don't think that's his name at all. Yeah, I would be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, does he see the girl briefly? I believe. Yeah, she goes at the window. He goes briefly. One of my Marisol. Yeah, one of one of the nicer shots in the film. You get a mm-hmm. get a little close up of of Clint like, doing like an awkward smile through like hi. And she just like closes the window harshly on him because her talk to a pretty lady. Oh, closed window. This is a Marianne Koch as Marisol. Uh, she's kidnapped by the Rojos, which is one of the gangs in this town. There's two, two bosses, as Eastwood says. Um, the Rojos and the uh, Baxters. Yeah. yeah. So I think the Baxters are the ones at the beginning here that are shooting at that kid and being assholes. Am yeah. I right? No, it's it's the Rojos. Is it? Well, he sure. beats up Baxters, right? Yeah, coming like up yeah, the ones that like fuck with him in a minute here. Yeah, yeah. Those are the, he has interactions with well, there's not an interaction with the Rojos yet, but he sees the Rojos. He kind of just ignores this situation and just is drinking his water. Just like, yeah, shoot at that kid. I don't give a fuck. And um, and just like, but then when the Baxters fuck with him, like, you know, now it's my problem. Yeah. 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 He goes right into the town to get the uh, weirdly like darkly comical thing where you have a man looks like he's riding towards him and gets a little closer and knows his eyes are closed. He's 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 dead on the back on on his back. There's a note that says "Adios, amigo," and he just like, yep. tips his hat to him. Mm-hmm. That dude's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he goes riding in through town. You get this nice like uh, this dolly shot of like all these women just like peering out the windows and stuff at him as he's riding in, and then uh, then he gets harassed by some dudes. Yes, he does. These are the Baxton's. These are some of the Baxton's here. They they fuck with him to the white. Uh, I wouldn't be here, stranger. And then, they, mm-hmm. start, and then they, they start shooting at his feet for fun. Well, at the feet of his horse, which, of course, it's a horse. It panics. Yeah. And he ends up, like, swinging on a, on a pole that's standing there to not get knocked off by the horse. Right. That's how he meets uh, Prepero, right? Or no, not no. Silvanito. Prepero's the gravedigger. Yeah. Silvanito is the cantina owner, played by Jose Calvo. Yep, he lives right in front of the uh, cantina. 
Yeah. That's what he needs, like, food and drink. Mm. Not water. Doesn't have any money, though. Yep. So, he's like, is there any work I can do? And he's like, the guy's like, no. Get out of here. This town is dead. <laughs> this town is this town is beyond fucked. You should get the fuck out of here while the getting's good. Yep. And um, you know, he told me if you don't mind doing a little killing, I'll somebody here to pay you, but you will likely die in this town. Yeah, but he tells him the situation about the you know Rojo's own that half, Baxter's own that half. So um, you know, sure there's money to be made if you're willing to work for one of these horrible or criminal organizations basically gangs or what have you uh but uh don't do that get the fuck out of here while the getting's good is uh sylvanito's advice yeah you would like to get a comical shot of uh of our grave digger man uh out Outside bound, pounding on Free Pero, played by Joseph Egger, who's yeah. also in the next movie. Excited to see him again because I love this Gravedigger character. Oh, he's great. Uh, he's not playing the same character, I believe, but. Yeah. He's outside banging on a coffin, <laughs> and then, yeah, he opens the window and he's like, like he's, he's taking your measurements right now for that grave. <laughs> yeah. You can tell just by looking at you. He's getting a head start because that's how shit works in this town. It's that bad. <laughs> Yeah, and Clint just, just chuckles at it. And he goes up onto the balcony, and then you, we, get our, we get our exposition dump here. Where, yeah, we have two sides here. They are, uh, mm-hmm. one sells guns, the other sells liquor. What a great combination. Yeah, and like, yeah, it's like, yeah, this town has two bosses. Yet these two families running the whole joint. And he goes, and then Clint goes off uh, to visit the Rojos, looking for some money. Well, first he goes and just beats up some Baxters for doing that thing to his horse. Yeah, beats up and be killed. <laughs> I, I mean, I think maybe he met with the Rojos beforehand, but we don't see that scene. Right. Uh, like we we first meet the Rojos when he goes to talks with them after he beats the shit, well, shoots to death, I should say, uh, out of the Baxters here. Where we the, learn where he's a uh, big gunslinger man. Yeah, he uh, even walks by the the, the grave digger guys to get three coffins ready. Oh, I love that line. And then it's actually four, and he says, "My mistake." There's actually you know, gonna need four coffins. Fucking, <laughs> again, <laughs> what a Chad. But like, ooh, it was all four of them in one fell swoop. Very clear, incredibly accurate gunslinger. Mm-hmm. And then the leader, the one of the one of the the husband leader, the uh, Baxter's comes out. He's yeah, like, I think he's known as Sheriff Baxter for some reason, even though like he's a criminal. Maybe the self-appointed sheriff. Yeah, that 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 that's what I would have. Not that the law, not that the law matters much in this fucking town. Yeah. Yeah. So they uh. And yeah, Clint tells yeah, your sheriff, just you better get these men underground. And he just walks away. Mm-hmm. Over towards the other side. And so he talks to our Rojos here. Yep. They go to give him a job. It's not in, in abundantly clear what his job's supposed to be. Do they pay him some money? 
I guess it was for killing Baxters. I guess so. Which I think he was going to kill anyway because they fucked with him. Um, so let's talk about the Rojos here. There are three brothers. Uh, we meet Don Miguel here, who seems to run the business, but isn't the true leader of these three brothers. Um, he's played by Antonio Prieto. And then you got uh, Sieghart Rupp as Esteban Rojo. He's kind of the more unhinged brother, the more prone to violence and mischief one. And then you got the third one, who we meet a little later into the movie, uh, Ramon Rojo, played by uh, John Wells, credited by the movie, even though his real name is Gian Maria Volanonte, uh, which, like, a-, a lot of stuff like this, what was stuff was like this for the American release. <laughs> like, they dumbed down the Italian and Mexican names and stuff like that uh, to uh, Americanize it and make it, you know, sell better, I guess. Yes. If his name's John Wells, this won't look foreign to them fucking Americans, <laughs> I guess, was the idea. Oh, man. I'm glad we've come a little farther. In, in, uh, in like you know, you can actually be known as your actual name now. You don't have to have a shitty stage name because everybody's fucking racist. Uh, That's good. That's good progress, Jusby. A little bit. Yep. Yeah, the uh, so they get shown to uh, to his room where he's staying with the row. Mm-hmm. Pass, passes by Marisol again. You get like a very similar shot of him getting like giving her the faint smile, and she just walks away from him. Yeah. Indication. It seems like she just doesn't want to be here, and you find out why very soon. Uh huh. But uh, he gets situated in his room, and then you have uh, two of the brothers talking. Uh, yeah, and Esteban's kind of like, we should just fucking kill this guy. Yeah, he's like, he seems too, he's too good of a shot. This seems scary. This gringo, you know. Yeah. He said, "Well, we should just shoot him in the back." And yeah, it's like, "What if? What if you miss slightly?" And the Yankees so quick on the draw. Mm-hmm. Can't do that. Yeah, can't fuck with Clint. He's badass, man. <laughs> and, then, and then it it pads out, and uh, he's been there the whole time. Yeah, he was spying on him, talking shit, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna get out of here later." Yeah, he just pieces the heck out. Mm-hmm. And then we have the military coming into town. Oh yeah, that yeah, this is the thing. Yes, or like the Union. I, I can't really tell. I thought it was like Union soldiers, like during Civil War, but maybe not. I thought they were wearing blue uniforms, but I guess that could be the case anyway. They were they're wearing beige uniforms. Oh, okay, never mind. I'm misremembering, sorry. My yeah, dog is talking about how they have noise. gold loaded in, right. the, in, in the carriage there. And Clint goes up to take a look. And one of the more hilarious scenes of this movie, he goes up and tricks the, tricks the one soldier. Try to take a look at the horse, acting like there's something in its eye. Then he goes yeah. to like peer back the window, and then a gun sticks out. <laughs> what are you doing here? 
best be on your way. So clearly there's something of value in this carriage here. So Eastwood's like, well, I'm going to follow it and see what happens. And uh, I think Sylvanito goes with them. Yeah. And then they, uh, they watch from afar as uh, Ramon Rojo appears. Yep, him and a bunch of his guys dressed up as American soldiers. Uh-huh. Those are Mexican soldiers there. Dressed up as American soldiers and massacred them. Yep. Yeah, because under the pretenses of doing a deal of some sort. Yeah. Uh, but clearly they're either taking someone else's deal or they've tricked somebody and they are stealing this fucking big mess of gold. And uh, they got a Gatling gun in there. Yep. And they just shoot the shit out of every single fucking person. Nobody is left standing. It's very clear that no one is left standing. It's very clear that they shoot every single person here. You take a very long time. <laughs> it's very clear that they kill every person. I'm just, I'm emphasizing this for a reason, Justin. <laughs> it is very clear. <laughs> As they shoot every single person with a Gatling gun. That every person is dead. <laughs> I'm not emphasizing this for any later plot reason at all. Everyone here is dead. No, make no mistake. And yeah, we get like a, a show off of Ramon's prowess with a with a rifle. Yeah. As he shoots a guy who's running away from from a, a far distance. Uh, so he's a sharpshooter with a rifle. Whereas Clint's character is a pistol guy. Yeah. And so he meets back up at the Rojos, talks to them. And just say, and then he makes, he sets up a plan here. The Rojos set up a plan here to feign wanting peace. With the Baxters. The Baxters. And so now we don't need use for your services anymore, Clint. We're gonna we're done with all this. He gives some of the money back. He's like, oh, I spent uh, some yeah. of it. He's like, I spent some he of it. Says, I don't like, I don't, money, I don't like uh taking money I don't earn. Right. Yeah. So he makes a plan here. He uh goes back to the uh battleground with Silvanito and a couple coffins that he borrows from Prepero. And he, uh, he just, uh, takes a couple bodies with him and, uh, takes them to a grave at the cemetery and leans them up. And, uh, Silvanito doesn't like his plan here. He's very uh, put off by it and is like, why are you moving dead people around? This is fucked up, dude. It's a disrespect to the I dead. I don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> and he just fucks off. So we don't really find out until much later when uh, Eastwood tips off both the Rojos and the Baxters uh, as to a location to go to, which is the cemetery with these soldiers at it. Um, I, 
I don't know. I, I think this is just kind of like to to trick them both into fighting each other immediately after the truce was already said. Yes. But I'm not sure why they start shooting at each other here, to be honest with you. Well, all right. So, <laughs> As they both arrive at this cemetery. Yeah, well, the, the pretense of this is that uh, he sets this up, and then he meets with the Baxters, and then tells them everything. The Baxters, sorry. And then tells them everything, like, that he witnessed. Yeah. With the military he tells them that they pulled off some kind of military heist, and that the truce is fake, I think? Yes. But why does that mean the truce is fake? That they did this other thing to steal stuff from a military. I mean, like, he's probably just lying to them, but, like, I just don't know why everything happens the way it does. This part was kind of confusing to me. Yeah, it's, it's a little weird, but he's just like, that they're clearly disingenuous, they're probably up to other stuff with your truce. Because they have all this gold. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, we maybe. Okay. Try to recover those guys so we can get the full story. And then he goes right over to the Rojos and tells them, hey, the Baxters are about to go. There's two of those guys left alive. And the Baxters are about to go pick them up. Immediately setting up this conflict. Yeah. So both sides think that these people are alive and they need to go talk to them. Well, the Rojos think they need to go kill them. But the Baxters want to talk to them and find out what actually happened or some yeah. shit like that. Yeah. Uh, not, not knowing that they're actually, they've been dead the whole time and Eastwood is setting them up. This is all an excuse to get them to fuck off and go to this graveyard. And therefore, he has access to the, the, uh, the Rojos place with nobody present. Well, there's one guard, but he takes care of him real easy. Real easy. <laughs> and uh, Eastwood pokes around while uh, in, the, in the wine room. He's banging barrels with the butt of his gun, trying to see which one sounds like it has something in it, I guess. Oh, and, uh, it's also important to note that he got $500 off of each family to do all this. He did get $500 <laughs> off of each family. He's rolling in it by the end of this. Well, actually, no, he's not. Uh, he should be. <laughs> With all the money he took from everybody. $1,000 um, in the 18th? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot That's of fucking crazy. money. Mm-hmm. So, he finds the gold. Yep. And he's about to get away with it when someone comes into the wine room. And he uh, he doesn't take any chance. He knocks him out real quick and like, oops, that's Marisol. Yep. Punched her right in the fucking face. Is this probably is this one of the first uh, films to have a woman punched directly in the face? You think uh, maybe I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I mean, it's maybe. Possible. I don't know. I'm sure there was like slaps and stuff that happened before, but this is a full bore punch. This is a little different. He knocks her the fuck out. Yeah. So then, while those, yeah, so he gets he gets out of there with her while those two are conflicting. Um, yeah, this kind of plays into his plans even more, even though this wasn't intended, because now he's going to trick the Rojos into thinking that the Baxters came and kidnapped somebody yep, while he was. Out and about while Who's they were out and about. Their state. Yeah. And now this helps the Baxters out because uh, the Rojos get a hostage of one of the Baxters gang, and this enables them to switch hostages. Which they do in the middle of the daytime the next day. 
Yep. So Little Eastwood is- has the gold and the thousand. And he's just he's set these uh two gangs against each other once again. You can tell at this point when when once he's done with this, he is pretty much ready to get out of here. Yeah. But then something else came up. <laughs> but that yeah. something is called morality. Yeah, out that Mary Saul is uh kidnapped by the Rojos. Yeah, she's being held against her will, and assumedly uh, there's some grimy, gross shit going on. You know, she's the husband to somebody else and has a kid and is kept away from them to be uh, unlawfully held by the Rojos as, like, I guess the the slave to Ramon, which is fucked up as shit. Um... So the the kid starts freaking out again because he sees his mom. He's like, I want to see her. And the bad, bad voice acting continues. Um, <laughs> and. But she eventually goes back. To Ramon, because it's just going to result in a lot of trouble. <laughs> so. So he goes back to the Rojos. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're having a party, right? And he uh, pretends to get stupid drunk with them. Yeah. And then so I think there's this part where they uh, foreshadow the ending of the movie, uh, where they bring out the suit of armor and are shooting at it. Yeah. You see him shooting the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ramon loves shooting that suit armor. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. And uh Yeah, he just he's pretending to get drunk so that he can wake up after they drop him off deep into the dead of night when everybody else is asleep. And he uses this opportunity to sneak Marisol out again. Except this time she like knows about it, I guess. And he takes her to her family. Yeah, he gets into the, he goes into the house where she's being held, and he kills everybody that's in it to get her out. Right. Real easily too. Very easily. Uh, <laughs> which leads to like a really funny line where like one of the people like they come across this massacre, and uh, someone says the way they've been killed, it had to be more than one pe- pe- person. <laughs> Keep searching, even though it was just Eastwood, just the man with no name. Yep. So he, so he gives he gives them the money, Justin, and says, "Fuck off, get yeah. out of here, yep. go across the border." Yep. And we get as much character development as we will get for Joe in maybe all three of these movies, with uh, the revelation where because like Marisol asks him why he's doing this, and he said, "Because once." I had a. I think he said something like, "Once I had a wife just like you, and there was no one there to." I knew someone like you once, and there was no one to help me. Yeah. So he's been through some shit. That's the only real indication of any of that that we have. Anything resembling a backstory. This is it, and I think it's enough. I like how mysterious he is, and I like this little, little peek behind the window. 
into what his psyche might be. It's just a little bit. It's all you need. Yep, and uh, they're free to go. But now you have another problem. Now you're um, away. Uh, well, he tries to go back to the Rojos and pretend that nothing happened. But they get him. You know, clearly he was out and about doing stuff and not sleeping in his bed. And they start beating the shit out of him. Yep, they they torture the fuck out of him. Yeah. Effectively senseless. Mm-hmm. But this doesn't stop him from getting some shit done here. <laughs> no, of course not. The guys go back to check up on him, and he's crawled up to, to the top of a ramp there. Drops a barrel on these two dudes and kills them. Yep. And then the, the chase is on. A bunch of capable men versus a dude who can only crawl. Who will win? I guess the crawling guy, because that's what happens. Uh, they are really searching hard, but he's able to hide under the porch of a house and sneak into uh, uh, the back of the cantina with Preparo, or Piripero, and uh, hide in a coffin. And he has him transport him in the coffin so they don't suspect that he is hiding. Uh, where a dead man would, I guess. But, uh, so Ramon's gang takes this opportunity to, uh, beat the fucking shit out of Silvanito. And that's gonna have Eastwood feeling some guilt later, I assume. Or maybe not. I don't know. He doesn't really show it very much. But the other major thing that happens is the Ramones, uh, decide that, uh, a place that. Joe may be hanging out is the Baxters because clearly he was working with them and uh, they go and burn their fucking place down and yep. this is probably the most brutally violent part of the entire movie yep they start burning the house and all of them are coming out trying to surrender they just gun them all down every they single gun member the, of the burning family. bodies down every single member of the family and then the, the really harsh one is Esteban the unhinged Rojo uh kills the uh, the matriarch of the Baxters, the the woman, uh comes out and she like sees that like her whole family is dead and she calls them murderers and Esteban shoots her. And uh Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> like uh you know, it's pretty brutal shit, man. But it certainly makes them out to be uh terrible, awful villains that you want to see murdered, right? And that's the idea. Yep. Now we get our setup for a final showdown here. Mm-hmm. Joe gets carted off. He, like, hides in some kind of, like, mine or something? Yeah, he hides in a mine to heal. Yeah. Get prepared for the final Because he did get beaten within an inch of his life. And uh, he has a plan here, which involves uh, making a bulletproof vest, basically which is interesting, in the 1800s. He thought about it because of that suit armor, I guess. Yeah. And he, then he saw some, some, like, some like metal there, and he started shooting at it. He realized mm. his bullets aren't going through. I could wear this, yeah. And uh, I believe uh, our gravedigger friend uh, scores him some dynamite. He just stole it from the Rojos when they weren't looking. Uh, I love the Gravedigger character. He's great. Especially like this late in the movie when he's like the, the real hero. <laughs> yeah. Gets him the dynamite. 
And uh, so I guess it's time for uh, the, the uh, Pirapero tells him the news and he's like, it's not good. They're planning on hanging Silvanito in the town square, you know, because now there's no competition for the Rojos. The war has ended. They are now the only boss and they're going to do whatever the fuck they want. And they're out for blood and they're looking for you. Now, Silvanito won't talk because he's a very stubborn man. I also really liked Silvanito's character. But um, that's, uh, that's not going to sit well with Joe. And he's going to go stop him. And also kill all of them. Because fuck this shit. And uh, this scene's great. The climax of the movie. He's, uh, you know, he gets shot at like 80 times. <laughs> Which, like, I guess realistically, getting shot, even though you're wearing this metal, it would probably at least take the wind out of you. Oh, yeah. Cause it's, and you and fuck impact. you up. You know? And yeah, that impact would do a lot more damage to you uh, than, you know, Eastwood just keeps getting back up. <laughs> He's, he's like, come on, Ramon. Shoot to you know, kill. You go said shoot for the heart. Got to go for the heart, Ramon. Shoot to kill, Ramon. You told me this yourself, Ramon. <laughs> just taunting him, and it's just not working. And then he reveals his master stroke suit of armor. Nipples. He did blow up a bunch of shit before this, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, he blew his way in, basically, because there's a, probably a bunch of, bunch of them on the perimeter. He just blew them up. You just see the explosion happen, and then he walks in. Yeah. And uh, in a big, uh, you know, hit triangle and shoot a bunch of guys in Red Dead Redemption moment, uh, he just uh, he just shoots the shit out of everyone here. Pow, 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 pow. Got him. He leaves Ramon alive. But he leaves Ramon alive. With one bullet. He's like, well, let's see what's better. The pistol or the rifle. And he lets them pick it up. Yeah. Yep, and then they both go to pick up the guns and load them at the same time. It's so fucking good. This standoff will be perfected in in a later film, but it, the prototype of it is still really strong. Uh, the close-ups, the tension, it's it's so good. Like, fantastic. The action of this scene is just a single shot and Ramon dies. But the build-up to it is what makes it, and it and it's like infinitely more interesting than if this was like a big drawn-out fight scene. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I love it. And then he just uh, after that he gets a gets a drink at the Katina, and then he just leaves. Yep, he's gone. <laughs> I think he just like makes like a joke to Silvanito, and he says, "Well, so long." Oh, because it's it's a repeat of what was said at the beginning of the movie, which was like the Baxters and the Rojos and me in the middle. Yeah, and in this one, the, he left the gold there. Mm-hmm. You got the, the Mexican government, the U.S. government, and then me in the middle. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. So long. <laughs> He's getting the fuck out of town, going off to be in another movie. <laughs> and that's it. That's the end of Fistful of Dollars. A great Western. Highly recommend. Yeah. Fantastic. I I, I absolutely adore this movie. And I I can't wait to get to the others. 
especially Good, Bad, and the Ugly, of course, it's one of the best movies ever made, period. For sure. I think it outshines the other ones. That one's going to be our number one no matter what, but this one has a good chance of being the number two because I don't know a lot about for a few dollars more. I'm very curious to see that one. Yep, we will find out. I can't, uh, I can't remember if I've seen it or not. I think that one has Lee Van Cleef in it, who I really like. But, yeah, um, it's a good movie. Um, mm. We will cover that shit next week. Yeah. Listen, man. I got I got food waiting for me downstairs, and I got a pee, so I'm leaving. Fuck uh, you guys. Fuck you guys. No, I'm just kidding. I love well, you all very much. I mean, all right, we basically said what we got to say anyway. Uh, it, it good movie. Yeah, it's great. Critics hated it at first. <laughs> I don't know why, but I mean, I do know why. It was it was violent and edgy, and yeah. that was not 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 necessarily what westerns were. So it, it kind of like took people by surprise. But uh, now I think it's just genuinely viewed as one of the greatest achievements uh, in film history. And it only gets better from here. Good Maddie Ugly coming. So we'll see you next week for, for a couple more dollars. Yeah, more money. It's a little more bit problems. more cash. Question mark? Yes. Two fistfuls, two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's two Polar Pops. Oh, hell Damn. yeah, dude. Clint Eastwood ride off into the sunset to go to the Circle K <laughs> to get a Polar Pop. My favorite, <laughs> my favorite Spaghetti Western pop, my Spaghetti Western uh, storyline. Clint mm-hmm. Eastwood rides to Circle K. Once upon a time at Circle K. <laughs> God damn it. I'm leaving. I have to pee. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye, Joss B.